Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Well, it is another Illegal Motion College Football Podcast Filling in as the host for Matt, uh, the professor decided he actually needed to do some professing and is currently grading papers and doing uh, whatever people in their ivory tower do. We're not too sure, but like a well-carved Thanksgiving turkey, we have trimmed the fat coach, and it's just the two of us. Oh, yeah. Um, We are going to deal with all the coaching mess uh, on a show later this week, a part two that will be posted along with this recap so this is just the game action from saturday recap and with that said uh what are your quick slants all right well uh wanted to talk egg bowl for a second uh was kind of surprised at how that game went down josh it was uh it was one of those games where you expected it to come in to be an all-out war because the egg bowl usually is an all-out war because the two teams in mississippi absolutely hate each other uh, what ended up happening was it ended up being Ole Miss dominating and, and dominating for really all of the game, and it was never really close. And uh, it was uh, – I know the score was 38-27, but, you know, it, it, it was one of those games where I, I didn't ever – every time I checked on it, I didn't ever feel like it was out of hand. I didn't ever feel like Ole Miss was going to lose control of that game. Uh, they never really relinquished anything. Uh, they just kept they just kept going going and going. Uh, quarterback Chad Kelly he threw two touchdowns, ran for another. Um, you know they jumped out twenty one nothing in the first quarter, and uh, <clears throat> you know that that Prescott also uh, he also contributed to the to the uh, Ole Miss run. He threw a, he threw a pick six forty five yards. Um, I don't know. They tried to rally back, but it's just one of those futile efforts. And and uh, as you look at Mississippi State, you got to wonder, you know, what went wrong. You know, where where could they get better? What you know, what what absolutely happened? I mean, this was a game that was supposed to be two evenly ranked teams, and and Ole Miss just kind of jumped out on them early and never really lost control. So, you know, hats off to the Rebels. Uh, they've ex- they've exceeded my expectations all year long. Every time I want to go to doubt them, they prove me wrong. Uh, Chad Kelly is a lot better quarterback than than I've ever given him credit for. Twenty one of thirty for two thirty six and two touchdowns. Ran for another. Dak Prescott had a had a, had a pretty good day stat wise, um, but you know as a leader and and somebody that needed to rally the troops, he uh, he was unsuccessful there. But, but uh, <clears throat> you know if you look at his stat line, that that just seemed like he was the only one that was doing anything. But he could never really get it going for uh, for the Bulldogs and. They just didn't have enough in the tank, uh, despite a late, you know, second half rally. They just didn't have enough in the tank to uh, to win. So, um, yeah, that's I, my first quick slant. Well, I don't know too much about this rivalry. I guess as an outsider, I'm assuming Mississippi State's kind of the old adage of a cow college, and Ole Miss is the the liberal arts studies school. Is there more bad blood than just that, and the cultural differences, or? Um, you know what's at play? What makes this such a heated rivalry? Well, uh, it's the same. It's a lot of the same factors that make Alabama and Auburn 
such bitter rivals. It's not to that degree because really it's not on the national stage, but you know, they're the only shows in town. So if you live in Mississippi, you're either Ole Miss or you're Mississippi State. And uh, it's very divided. Um, you know, Ole Miss fans look down on look down on Mississippi State fans thinking they're Hicks, Rednecks, you know, Cal College, you know, there's only one stoplight in Starkville. <laughs> you know, pretty much the entire city of Starkville is, is the university. So there's nothing there. Um, Mississippi State fans turn around and look at Ole Miss fans thinking they're arrogant, you know, ivory tower type people. And to some degree that might be true. Um, but, uh, you know, to some degree that, that, you know, there's always those type of fans that, that carry the stereotype. But, you know, there's just that, that huge rivalry, just the two cultures clashing, really. Uh, and it's just two totally different, you know, ivory tower versus rednecks type deal. And, and it's, uh, that, that's kind of, that's kind of the dynamic you get with it. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss, Ole Miss fans tend to be viewed as elitists, and Mississippi State fans tend to be viewed as lacking sophistication, <laughs> gloriously. Nice. All right. Makes sense. Um, well, my first slant is going to keep it in the Magnolia State, and that is just setting the stage for the uh, Conference USA title game. This is going to be a good one to keep an eye on. Southern Miss completed the insane bounce-back season. This is a program that people really had left for dead after Larry Fedora left, and they were on hard <clears throat> times. Uh, they went. Oh, yeah, the Buster Buzzards. Yeah, they went 9-3 and three this year, 7-1 and one in conference. They waxed Louisiana Tech in Ruston to clinch their spot in the conference title game where they will take on Western Kentucky, who's 8-0, 10-2 on the season. This is a really fun game, and they do it in a very different way. Western Kentucky loves to score a million points. Southern Miss has one of the best defenses in the conference, so that'll be exciting as the old adage goes, something has to give. And uh, sticking with the smaller conference wrap-up, uh, I, like an idiot, left Northern Illinois left for dead after getting upset by, by Ohio. Well, Western Michigan must have listened to my podcast, and they decided to knock off their first-ranked team in a long, long time as they, they stunned Toledo. That lets Northern Illinois into the MAC title game. So uh, I know everyone's going to be focused on the Big Ten, Pac-12, SEC, and ACC showdowns, but there's some, uh, some intriguing matchups for the smaller conferences to keep an eye on. Uh, Coach, what's your second quick slam? Well, I was just going to kind of uh, wrap up the SEC. A lot of, I guess, a lot of interesting storylines um, that are not going to make our uh, deep routes. But um, you know, I want to start off with uh, with the whole Les Miles saga. Uh, LSU ended up being victorious, nineteen to seven over A and M. That wasn't the story. The play of the the play of the game actually took place in some uh, one of the presidents. Suites up top somewhere uh, that had a secret meeting in the third quarter to determine that they should keep Les Miles. So, um, good news if you're an LSU fan, if you're not, if you're a Les Miles supporter, I think that was the right thing to do. Um, but uh, you know, in Wednesday show, we'll talk more about coaching changes and, and who's leaving, who's going where, who's candidates where, and who's going to land here and there and everywhere. Uh, but 
Uh, I think the decision to keep Les Miles, that, that was the right decision for LSU. I think he gives them the best chance to win. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of people out there that, that if I'm LSU, I would trade for Les Miles. Um, but uh, Leonard Fournette had a good bounce-back game, 32 carries, 159 yards, and a touchdown, a very crucial touchdown in this game as as it was it was an ugly game most of the way. It was 7-6 all, you know, at halftime. And it was up 7-6 at halftime. LSU scored third quarter. And then they, they added on six more to, to make it 19 to 7. Uh, Arkansas, Missouri, uh, Arkansas victorious 28 to 3. The story of the game was uh, I forget the kid's name, but he tweeted out that Missouri should leave their offensive coordinator in Fayetteville. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Vanderbilt, Tennessee. Vanderbilt's defense, we've been talking and bragging about how well they've played all year long. Uh, they didn't play so well against Tennessee. They surrendered 53 points. They lost by a score of 53 to 28. At least the offense tried to chip in. Uh, Iron Bowl we'll get to later. Uh, Clemson, South Carolina. Clemson jumped out way ahead early. Uh, South Carolina fought and clawed all the way back, but they never really could could do enough to, to get back in this game. Clemson just kept nudging that carrot along. Um, but South Carolina showing their resiliency um, as they headed to the offseason, as they headed to their coaching search. I like um, those. I like those new uniforms, by the way. Yeah, they're pretty. Yeah, Under Armour did a great, great job with that. Um, and I think they did a great job outfitting South Carolina. Um, talk about Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky was up twenty-four to seven. Surrendered what was uh, it was thirty-one unanswered points in the second half. Louisville came back and absolutely smoked them. Uh, just it, it turned it into one of those things. It started out Louisville couldn't do anything right. Kentucky couldn't do anything wrong, and then at halftime they decided to switch roles. Kentucky couldn't do anything right in the second half. They just kept throwing interception after interception, kept fumbling it away. They just the total ineptness came out. The story of the Kentucky Wildcats is um, if they ended the game at halftime, they'd be undefeated right now, leading the SEC. But unfortunately, they don't. <laughs> so they are five and seven, going to miss a bowl game. Um, they need to learn how to finish. Uh, finally, clean, old-fashioned hate. Um, if you like offense, that was not the game to watch. If you love, if you love defense, it was definitely the game to watch. It was one of those games where you see the score and you go, ew, ew, that's ugly. But uh, you know, Sony Michelle, twenty-four carries, one hundred forty-nine yards. He scored once for the Bulldogs. Uh, the defense really stepped up huge, forced forced numerous turnovers. I'll give you the exact number here in just a second when uh, my when my trusty handy dandy computer pulls up the stats. But uh, that was one that was one of the games. Obviously, being a Georgia grad and the saga of Mark Richt, um, I paid close attention to this game. Uh, it was one of those games that it, it was exciting to watch. Um, offensively, it was kind of sad to watch, but. Um, Georgia Tech turned it over five times. And uh, if you turn it over five times with two interceptions and three fumbles, you just you can't you can't do that. And uh, you know, simply put, that just that's a, that's a killer. And, and any momentum you might have, Tech moved the ball. Georgia Tech moved the ball decently um, at times, but they just couldn't get out of their own way. They would get into a situation where they'd get backed up, you know, third and long situation. They'd get behind the chains, try to throw it, and. You know, Justin Thomas just really fell off the face of the earth. Uh, Georgia played a clean game, didn't turn it over a single time, had five penalties for 35 yards, uh, which is about average for them. Uh, 
and then they just they racked up 402 yards versus 276 yards. So it was it was all around pretty good game for Georgia. Good way to end the season um, as a team on the field. Uh, we'll talk about the offseason stuff later, but uh, you know that was a it was a clean old fashioned hate game. Um, it was a typical Georgia Georgia Tech game. Ugly slugfest goes down to the wire. No matter how bad either team is, it's always going to go down to the wire. Um, so it was pretty exciting to watch. Actually, Jeremy Pruitt has done a tremendous job as defensive coordinator, developing that young defense and making them relevant as as the uh, as the, and improving as the season goes on. So um, that's your SEC roundup. Um, about as quick as you can go. Some of these other games that I didn't get to, we will definitely get to. I promise you, action-packed show lined up for you, Josh. Any thoughts on on that that whole barrage of information I just threw at you? Yeah, I wanted to run something by you. This is this is a little uh, blind resume. I think you'll be able to get one, but I'm curious if you'll be able to get the other. Uh, okay. Co- Coach A, 145 wins. Two BCS wins, six consensus top tens, and two conference titles. Coach B, 127 wins, one BCS win, four consensus top tens, and two conference titles. Can you name them? Ooh. Um, all right. Coach A is Mark Richt. Yeah, I figured you'd get that one. Okay. Coach All right, run, run the stats down for Coach Coach B. Coach B, 127 wins, one BCS win, four consensus top tens, and two conference titles. Two SEC titles. Just just conference titles. It doesn't have to be SEC. Oh, two conference titles. Yeah. Right, uh, good guess. Um, do you have a defibrillator on you, by the way? You might need it. Uh, Coach uh, B is Kirk Ferentz. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I, I was uh, Wow. I was surprised how close their resumes are. Yeah. Um, wow. Because, you know, they've been at their respective programs a similar amount of time, and uh, I, I was stunned when Mark Rick got fired or resigned or whatever in the world it is, but... Um, I think he was forced out. But yeah, and I was just curious how he uh, how he lined up next to Kirk, and uh, it, it, they're surprisingly close to say the least. So um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm looking up. Actually, I'm gonna give you a third one. Um, <laughs> see if you can guess it. And uh, as I pull that up, you can kind of give your reflections yeah. here. Well, yeah, my uh, my quick slant was uh, just gonna do some of the Big Ten games that. We're, uh, we're not going to do deep routes on. Uh, the first one was Iowa in a just a horrible weather conditions. The, the wind was gusting 30 miles per hour, it seemed like. I think I heard that, and uh, might have been 40 even. Um, brought the windshield down into the teens. It was not good weather, and once Iowa got up uh, 28-17 going in the fourth, according to the interview during the radio show, Kirk was like, well, we figured the only way they could win was a short field. The only way they'd get a short field is if we turned it over. So they basically played a hockey game and shut it down in the fourth quarter. Trusted that defense. Um, They got it done. Tommy Armstrong, junior, four interceptions. It was funny reading the uh, coordination blog by the good people at SB Nation. A lot of commenters were were saying, well, if it wasn't for the turnovers, we would have won. I'm thinking that's like me telling you, Coach, if I 
was a better putter, I'd be a great golfer. It's part of the game. Yeah. Um, another game that I want to talk about, Indiana got bowl eligible. No surprise there. They killed Purdue. Northwestern got their 10th win. This is only the fourth time in school history they've had double-digit wins, and it's only the third time in school history they've accomplished that in the regular season. Well done by Fitzgerald. Bounce-back season. And then last but not least, Wisconsin, 12 years in a row now, winning the Axe. Minnesota missed a golden opportunity. The Badgers had been really in shambles, uh, struggling mightily on offense and had negative rushing yards a week ago against Northwestern. And, wow, Minnesota missed a good opportunity. It's a tough one to swallow if you're a Gopher fan. I don't know how else I can explain it because this is this is one of the weaker Wisconsin teams, and they certainly don't feel like a 9-3 and three ball club, but there they are. Wow. All right. That's your Big Ten wrap-up. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, one of the games that really jumped out at me and, and, uh, and something we'll, we'll jump into in the deep routes uh, was, was the Michigan State game, Penn State game. I was, I was really shocked at that uh, as far as the Big Ten goes. Um, just kind of just kind of shocked at not only how well Michigan – well, I wasn't shocked at how well Michigan State plays. I, I was more shocked at how poorly it seemed that Penn State was playing. Every time I went to go check on that game, I was like, and nah, I'm not gonna check on that game. <laughs> it's bad, and uh, and a, a thing that impressed me, um, surprisingly impressed me, or maybe not so much, depending on their opponent or how you look at it. But Indiana scoring 54 points, pouring it on Purdue. Uh, I, I think that's a program you really need to watch out for, um, and I, I think it's you know some somebody that. You know, if they continue to grow, they can they can be pesky in the Big Ten for a little while. And if they continue to grow even further, they might. I don't want to. I don't want to jump the gun here and, and and really just give them more credit than they deserve at this moment. But you know, I think they I think they could be a team that that could you know be a problem matchup for a lot of people, um, which is an improvement over a circled win. So yeah, well, um, the um, you know, it's funny. As Iowa clinched against Purdue a week ago, people were asking me, like, oh, who would you rather play? Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. And I said, I'm just glad we don't have to face Indiana. And I think a lot of the Spartan fans feel the same way. That offense is unlike anything we see in the Big Ten. And uh, it's, it's, it's about as dynamic of an offense as you could get in yeah. the Big Ten. And I mean, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think that they have a big potential especially if they can give Kevin Wilson an extension. He's signed an original seven-year deal, I believe. He's finishing his fifth year. Um, he's not getting paid a lot, so we'll see. But if they give him an extension and they continue progressing the way they're going, yeah, they could They could be a factor. What's, I'm trying to think of a good parallel because you know they haven't won the Big Ten since, I believe, the 60s. And... I mean, it would be like, uh, it, honestly, it would be like if Kentucky or Vanderbilt started competing in the SEC. We, it, it's just not something that any Big Ten fan is really accustomed to seeing. And it's like whenever they've had a little bit of momentum, it all falls apart. You know, they yeah. they, they can't get yeah. that recruit, next recruiting class 
to keep the ball running. Like, they'll have a nice quarterback for a few years, like they did with Antoine Randall. Obviously, the worst case was uh, Coach Hepner was really turning things around there, and unfortunately, he, he passed away from cancer when it seemed like he, he was getting the ball going. It's just a hard luck program, to say the least. Yeah, and I, I think if you know they've got a good thing going. If they can, if they can hold on to the staff, I, I know they'll probably be patient because this is probably the most success they've they've tasted in a while. They can be a team like a Vanderbilt or Kentucky that once every five years they can throw their name in the hat. You know, once every like every couple of senior classes, like maybe every other senior class to come in as you know when they come in as freshmen, but you know four years after. They come in as freshmen, you know. They they contend, and, and they really make some noise in the Big Ten, and then they go back, have a couple tough years, and then, you know, all of a sudden here we go. Every four or five years, you know, their team in force to be reckoned with. But well, I don't think they're ever going to be one of those teams yeah, that I mean that the, contends consistently if, um, if, because of what you got. Well, I mean, if they contended every four or five years, they would take that in a heartbeat. This is a program that doesn't even make bowl games. Every four or five years, uh, this will be their first bowl game since '07. Before that, they were in a bowl game in 1993. So yeah, I mean, they would gladly. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. They would gladly take it. Um, and and hats off to them. They just need to, you know, do whatever they can to keep them. I, I, I know that people are going to see this type of success, and, and they might go try to pluck pluck the head coach uh, from from Indiana. So that's another thing they got to contend with. You know, some of these smaller schools are. Smaller time programs, I should say. Indiana's not really a small school, but um, you know some of these. You know, I, I don't want to say lesser programs. That's not necessarily the right word. But some of these, I guess, less successful programs um, that don't really focus on football as much as they do the, uh, as much as they do basketball. Um, you know, one of their biggest challenges is is anytime they have a successful season, you know, somebody's come calling for their coach. You know, so um, often seen as a stepping stone. So they need to get past that as well. Um, they need to find a guy that's committed to Indiana, an Indiana guy, who, and and I think they've got somebody that seems like he's committed to the program. We'll see. Um, got a busy uh, coaching cycle this this year, so we'll see if he uh, we'll see if he remains in Indiana. Yeah, and you you brought up the Michigan State game. I just wanted to touch on that real quick, and then I'm curious about your blind coaching resume you're going to give me. But um, yeah, the, Penn State they might be the ugliest seven and five team the Big Ten has ever produced. I mean, this yeah, oh, you know they can't keep Hackenberg upright. They can't run the ball uh, when they do get plays off. They usually result in turnovers. They had four of them against Michigan State. Um, it hasn't gotten a lot of traction, but looking at how this team has performed, and I just I don't see Franklin being there for the long haul. I'm I'm not seeing it. This team looks like one of the worst coached teams in the <coughs> Big Ten, and I mean you got to enjoy him at Vanderbilt, and he really helped Vanderbilt turn around, but. I mean, that's the SEC East. I don't think it's any surprise that Vanderbilt could win a few games against some of those teams going up against Kentucky, going up against Tennessee football at one of its worst time periods ever. Uh, where do you stand on Franklin? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, they were they were in such a mess and disarray um, 
you know, coming off the sanctions. And I, I think Bill O'Brien did a good job of getting the ball s- started. But it, it was a tall order. It was a tough task to uh, to really build that program in, into, you know, back to where it was. Um, you know, I think Franklin has got a huge uphill battle um, ahead of him. And if he stays the course, I don't know. Um, he's one of those – I. You know, he was starting to do it at Vanderbilt, and then he just left. Uh, he's kind of starting to he, – I don't know. It's ugly right now, but, you know, give it a couple more years and we'll really be able to judge what Franklin's able to do. Um, you know, he's still got Hackenberg. Let's see Let's see how many of his guys he can recruit and really change the culture of that program. Uh, they're just – I don't think they're very deep yet. I still don't think they've built quality depth just quite yet. I think they need to get a few more years removed from the sanctions to really build that quality depth. Um, so it's going to be another couple of rough years for them. They're going to win a few games, maybe a game or two they shouldn't. They're going to lose a game or two they shouldn't. They're always going to finish right around the 8-4, 7-5 mark, um, at least for the next two three years. Go to a decent bowl and uh, – and just keep trying to plug away and keep trying to recruit. So, um, <clears throat> I uh, I like what they've been doing. Um, it's slow but slow but steady. Uh, so we'll see what they have in store. <clears throat> I guess that's just the eternal optimist <laughs> talking. Um, John, I think Josh, you follow the Big Ten a lot more closely. You probably see a lot more of the negative stuff. That happens. I saw so I saw a lot of the positive things James Franklin did for Vanderbilt, <clears throat> and some of these things that might be able to work for him at at Penn State. You know, he has the enthusiasm that that certainly is not lacking. But maybe sometimes he, I, I think his biggest downfall um, is that he will often, I guess, put too much into the PR aspect of it and, and really just ignore some of the details that are needed to, to have a successful program. I think sometimes he's too busy trying to be a front man and not working enough behind the scenes maybe. Uh, that could be a possible scenario uh, that wouldn't shock me one bit. Um, <clears throat> you know, he's got a decent staff. Not a, not a, not a great staff. Not a, not a horrible staff. I, I just I think his staff is about a 7-5-8-4 staff right now. I think he needs to make some some improvements, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I just, you know, their offensive line is atrocious. And they just, they need to do a better job recruiting that position. Um, Scheme-wise, they need to make some changes there. Maybe try to, maybe try to fit their personnel a little bit better. Maybe get a guy in there that, that can, that can help them out uh, scheme-wise to, to uh, make things better. So that's my thoughts on Penn State. That's my, that's my rundown. <laughs> My postseason recap rundown on the Penn State Disney Lions uh, for all you Penn State fans lurking out there. All right, so you ready for the uh, mystery resume? Yeah. All right. This guy has 179 wins. Okay. He has one one national championship. All right. Nine nine conference titles. Mm. And he carries a four and five BCS bowl record. Wow. All right, including including more including multiple national championship appearances. <clears throat> well, Urban obviously has more than one national title, so he's out. And Les doesn't have nine conference titles, so he's out. Mm, that's a lot of national titles. 
or a lot of conference titles. Um, yeah, he's got nine conference titles. Has been has got one national championship. Has been in another has been in it another two times. Uh, no, other three act- times. Other three appearances. Active coach, right? Active coach. Okay. Uh, well, <clears throat> Jimbo hasn't coached enough to be at 179. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Feel like you're almost tripping me up. You feel like you're going to throw me a curveball, and it's like someone whose national titles are from FCS, and I feel no. okay. No, well, they're, they're FBS. All right, well, uh, my guess is going to be Paul Johnson. If you're doing a trick question, because I know his uh, no, his tenure. I'm not tricking you. Yeah. Wow. That's. Mm. <clears throat> that is a good one. Uh, he, he's, he's got all of his. T- he's got his. All of his. Uh, National championship appearances are in FBS, BCS championship, national championship appearances. Hmm. Man, it must be uh, must be Bob Stoops then. Would be my guess. You said Bob Stoops. You're correct, and he okay. just won his tenth conference title. Yeah, it is Bob Stoops. Yeah, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize Bob Stoops had nine conference yeah. titles because you know you would figure Mac Brown. Had a few figured. Um, the the 2000s were, I mean, it was dominated, you know, outside of two years. Yeah. Uh, 06 and 09, it was okay. dominated by Oklahoma. Yeah. I guess the reason why I didn't immediately go there is you, you kind of feel like Mac Brown would have had a couple. You feel like A&M made a, might have stole one before they went to the SEC. You feel like Mike Leach might have gotten one. We know the success Gundy's had. You feel like there might be a Jack few Close. years. Yeah, you feel like there's a few years where, where Stoops wouldn't have gotten up to nine. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. So he, he won. All right. So he won Big 12 championships 2000, 2002, 04, 06, 07, 08, 10, 12, and 15. Well, you know, this was a guy that. A few years ago, people were questioning if he was still big game Bob. People were, you know, thinking that maybe the marriage had run its course. And, um, yeah. hey, you know, we've seen the surprising season Iowa's had. We've seen the season Oklahoma's had. LSU <clears throat> kept their coach. We'll see if Georgia maybe ends up regretting getting rid of Mark Rick. But uh, that's a perfectly natural segue to our first deep route, which is Bedlam. And... Uh, yeah, and I'm just going to repeat what I've said about Okie State all year. They don't have a deep or reliable defense. They got exposed again, but I'm going to throw them a curveball. Something nice about the Pokes, and I haven't done this all year, and I want your thought on this, Coach, but I don't think we thought much of this Oklahoma State team. I think we figured they might snipe a few people, get seven, eight wins, but not beat any of the big boys. I thought they were I thought they were an eight win team. Yeah. Uh, middle of the pack, big twelve, gonna give some people fits. I, I, I never gave their defense credit. Um, I've always said that they they've you know, any game that they were gonna win they were gonna have to uh, they were gonna have to shoot out get in a shootout or, or you know, score forties, fifties to to win. Um you know, I think they, they, you know, they certainly exceeded our expectations, finishing, uh, 
you know, 10 and 2, uh, getting close to a conference title, but not quite there. Um, certainly, they, they've done it with a two quarterback system, which if you have two quarterbacks, you never really have one. Um, J.W. Walsh, Mason Rudolph have, have done a tremendous job at carrying this team and making sure that they've, you know, they've really made plays for them. And, and, and they've been great leaders for the Cowboys. I think for them to do what they've done, without a reliable defense speaks volumes to, you know, the kind of offensive mind that Mike Gundy is, the kind of head coach that he is, the kind of guy that just, you know, rallies his guys, you know, gets them to capitalize on big plays. You know, their defense really was feast or famine. I think they would either make a big play or they'd get gashed. And and I I don't think there was much in between, um, you know, unfortunately for their sake. Um, And Oklahoma just didn't leave – much to chance. They were all over, and this was, you know, they exploded in the second quarter. They had 30 points in the second quarter. Um, it, I mean, they went 14, 37, and 7, first quarter 58. Um, they had 524 yards of total offense. Oklahoma State had 457. Um, they had 180 through the air, 344 on the, on the ground. That's impressive. Um, if you look at that, uh, they won the turnover battle. Uh, they were they were uh, they were plus three in the turnover battle. Um, you know, a fumble and two interceptions. Time of possession, it was really even. Uh, Oklahoma just made you know made do their chances, scored quick. Samaj P. Ryan, 131 yards on 17 carries, two touchdowns, was not the leading rusher. Joe Mixon was the leading rusher. Uh, 14 carries, 136 with two touchdowns. Baker Mayfield had 11 carries, 77 yards and a touchdown. Um, so, th- uh, huge days there. Um, Baker Mayfield, 17 to 25, 180 and two touchdowns. Uh, was just one of those games where I would check in on it. I watched. I watched most of the first half. Realized, you know, in the second quarter. Realized it was going to be a beatdown. Kept checking on the Notre Dame-Stanford score. Really just paid a lot of attention to that. Um, paid a lot of attention to Florida, Florida State early on. Um, that's a game I grew up enjoying. So, man, hats off to Oklahoma. They just, I mean, we, we knew they were going to contend, right, Josh? But yeah. they just, I mean, they took it to a whole other level. I mean, they they turned into the they turned into the early two thousands Oklahoma team where. <laughs> You know they're going to rush for 344 yards and, and just pound you physically on defense, and, and and they really went vintage Oklahoma. Yeah, it felt like I was seeing Adrian Peterson out there again or something. Um, I guess just to buy, tie a bow on this game, when I when uh, we sort of teased with Oklahoma State is ten wins. You know, fourth fourth time Gundy's gotten. To double digits coming off of a seven-win season, we were kind of a little skeptical of how good the Pokes were going to be, and I know I've been critical of them, but um, their accomplishment for this season without winning the conference title is still really impressive, I think. Mm-hmm. I would never have guessed ten wins for them. Yeah. But uh, the, the other big rivalry game, Iron Bowl, um, your neck of the woods kind of. Uh-huh. Um, Here's my takeaway, and I've been having Alabama second in my poll. Now I have them third, 
And I'm sliding them down because the Jake Coker from earlier in the season, I'm not seeing anymore. I think people have enough tape on him now that they've figured him out. And I'm getting a little concerned because against Mississippi State, he was 15 of 25. I'm not going to even go on to the Charleston Southern game. But then Auburn, <laughs> 17 of 26, under 200 yards again. He just, it seems like he's missing people. seems like he's not reading the field as well. Um, not to take anything away from Auburn, but we don't really need to talk that much about the game. But I feel like of the teams that are locks for the football playoffs, you figure Clemson, figure Alabama, and you figure Oklahoma. Of those three that we know with pretty good certainty, Jake Coker's by far the worst quarterback. I'm starting to see how this team can win a title even with that great defense. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a couple things in play here. Um, obviously, Derrick Henry, I think he, you know, he's Heisman front runner. Here. He rushed for a career-high 271 yards on a school record 46 carries. I mean, come on, man. You don't have another <laughs> back in, in there that can, that can carry the load, but uh, he hey, tied Damian Harris Walker had a carry. Jackson. What? Damian Harris had a carry. He had a carry or two, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Derek Henry tied to Herschel and Bo for the most 200-yard games in a season in SEC history after scoring his – after recording his fourth – in, in his last five conference contests. So he's got four games over 200 in this season, tied the record. Uh, so that's I, – I don't know if you've heard of those two guys, Josh, but that's pretty impressive company, I think. You know, uh, Herschel and – or Herschel and Bo. Um, I, I think Auburn did a good job of really uh, finding ways to at least get some yards on that Alabama front seven. They kind of laid it out somewhat of a blueprint. Um, you know, just further shows you how – um, Alabama continues to kind of struggle with, with spread offenses, especially zone read type concepts. Um, I, I, you know, Auburn just so inept at the quarterback position <laughs> they just weren't able to finish their opportunities. Had they had even had they had even Jake Coker quarterback, they probably would have been able to make this game a lot more exciting. Um, it should have been a lot more exciting. I think Auburn gave themselves chances. Their defense really stood on their head for the most part. Um, you know, they gave up, you know, even though they gave up 271 yards on 47 carries, it was, you know, it was 13 to 7 for a long time. You know, Alabama pulled away late because Auburn got exhausted because they're not very deep somehow. Uh, but Auburn stuck with them. And, and that's, that's typically how this game goes. Um, you know, in the last few years, you know, every once in a while, Alabama will get out of hand. But, uh, you know, it, it was you know it was an all-out war, and anytime that game's played in Jordanaire, Auburn's going to come out ready to play. They did. They had a good game plan defensively. Um, I think they, I think it was kind of one of those NBA type game plans where they you let you know it's it's how you played the Lakers in the late 2000s. You know, after they got rid of Shaq, you let Kobe do his thing and guard everybody else, and that's kind of how they did it. Okay, we're going to let Derrick Henry do his thing. We're going to guard everybody else. And it worked for a while. Unfortunately, the offense couldn't capitalize on the chances they got. And, and, and Alabama just kept, you know, being able to let Derrick Henry do his thing. And eventually that broke Auburn's back. But, you know, um, Alabama, 
like I said early earlier in the year and early and often, this is not their most talented team. You know, I, I think Derrick Henry is covering up a lot of deficiencies uh, for the Crimson Tide. I think he, I think he adds a certain element that that raises the level of play. But um, that being said, uh, you know, I think their front seven is is one of the best in the in the country this year, um, and that's and that's probably the fifth best front seven <laughs> in Saban's tenure there. Yeah, um, which is scary. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I yeah. thought I thought Alabama could just ride defense and and C plus quarterback play, but Coker slipped. He's getting like C C minus, maybe even D plus quarterback play, and I don't think that's going to be enough. It, they need, and and you know what's scary is is with their their, their ability to, to game plan and play defense. They need. They only need C plus output from yeah. Coker. You know, you need C plus effort. You need a C plus uh, result from Coker. Uh, keep feeding Henry. Uh, you know, complete a pass or so. You know, complete fifty five percent of your passes as, as Jacob Coker just to keep defenses honest and uh, you know they'll win, but I'd love to see what they, you know, because they're probably going to get matched up as the number two team. They're probably going to get matched up against Oklahoma. Uh, that'll be an interesting contest in, in the playoff, uh, I think. Um, but that's not to overshadow the, the Florida game. I just, you know, I think they're head and shoulders above Florida. Florida's probably the worst 10-2 team in, in, in the country. Uh, can, uh, can Florida have, like, Will Greer grow a beard or something and, and give him a different jersey and just sneak him out there? Is that possible? Um, did you not hear about their new transfer? His name is Bill Weir. Oh, perfect. There we go. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Yeah, Bill Weir. He's coming in <laughs> to play quarterback. Uh, um, well, it seems like a good time as any then to talk about that Gator team and that Gator game. And, um... My God, it was ugly. How it's it's surprising that Florida is going off to Atlanta to play in the conference title game. I mean, uh, it just shows you how pitiful the SEC East is this year. I mean, for them to go ten and two first year, they have Trayon Harris quarterback. How they're surviving with him is beyond me. It's baffling me. Uh, I guess Kelvin Taylor's helping them out there. You know. They, I think they'd be happy to get D-plus effort uh, out of their quarterback position uh, because I think, I, you know, Treon Harris, I, I don't get it. Um, I, I don't understand how he torched Georgia, uh, but, I mean, I guess that's part of the reason why, you know, Mark Richt is no longer with the program uh, because this is probably the worst the East has ever been, and he still could, he couldn't capitalize off of it despite being the most talented team in the division. So, uh, Florida State, um, Florida State is, is, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, ten, they're sitting at 10 and 2, and they're one of those teams that, you know, you're looking at them and, and, and trying to figure out how they got to 10 and 2. You know, they lost to Clemson. They had Clemson on the ropes, and, and, and they let that one slip away. Uh, and I think a lot of it's due to their poor quarterback play as well. I think, you know, if you're looking at quarterback matchups, you know, Sean McGuire and Treon Harris, yikes. But 14 of 28, 160 and a touchdown, that's 50%. 
uh, versus 19 of 38 for 134 <laughs> and, and nothing across the board for Treon Harris. You know, 27-2. It's just just total ineptness at the quarterback position. Luckily, the running backs chipped in and, and at least made it somewhat exciting. Dallin Cook, 26 carries, 183 yards, two touchdowns. I think he punched his ticket to New York, um, or he should have at least, in my opinion, if he didn't. Uh, he averaged 222 total yards in this game. Or he's averaging 222 total yards a game against FPS teams. If that doesn't get you to New York, I don't know what will. Um, the Gators, uh, I just, I, you know, I'm scratching my head trying to figure them out. You know, well, well, you, I you, you think, you think, oh, okay, well here we go, and then they, they turn in this performance, and you're just like, oh, well, that that's who I thought they were originally. They tricked me, and now they're back to their original form. But it's baffling. Yeah, I, I got a question about Treon Harris, and as a coach, you'll probably have a better explanation than I would. I would just say teams are mixing up their defenses, and young men, he's only a sophomore, matches up better against some defenses than others, which isn't a very academic question but or answer. But uh, Harris looked pretty good against... LSU, not great, but serviceable. And you mentioned his Georgia game. He was all right. Um, South Carolina, he played really well. Um, but those last two weeks, what what's happened? You'd think he would be gaining more confidence. Why has he suddenly, the last two weeks, been arguably his two worst games of the year? Well, uh, Florida State's probably the most talented defensive team he's probably faced all year long. Uh, George is very young in the secondary. Um, he was able to exploit play action against Georgia. The one big play he hit on, on Georgia was a play action that you know I could probably hit because he was so wide open. Um, you know, against LSU, he you know, again, I think what makes him dangerous is, is, is the play action game and his threat as a runner a lot of times will pull Defenders out of out of their zones and leave receivers sitting there wide open. Uh, I think that's where he draws a lot of his, his success. If he's having to sit back and, and make reads, that's where he struggles because you, you've heard the expression: the game is just moving way too fast, or the game's not slowing down enough for him. That's absolutely true for Treon Harris. I just don't think he's ever been required to read defenses. You know, coming out of high school and. You know, I still think he's just not adjusted yet. Uh, and he's definitely not adjusted to the speed of the game because he certainly can't, you know, you, you look at him and he sits back there and he's delayed on his reads. Uh, he's get, he's delivering the ball late uh, if he's not pulling it down and running. Uh, I just think, you know, Florida State game planned well against him. Um, and they've got a tremendous secondary that played really that played tremendously against him. Um, and then, you know, just defenses that force him to sit in there and contain him and then don't let him, you know, really do much with his legs. That's kind of how you beat guys like that. You you force them, you, you put them in a phone booth and make them read your defense and make them beat you through the air. And Treon Harris is not built equipped like that. His skill set does not include include that. And, and I just think until the game slows down for him, He's not going to be able to make those reads ever, um, you know, until that happens. And it's just he's going to have to take his lumps. And, 
he may never, you know, get to suit up and play quarterback again. He may go back to a backup role as uh, Felipe Franks is committed to him for star quarterback is committed to the Gators, so he'll likely come in. Will Greer will come back off suspension. He'll probably, you know, be in competition. So I think Treon Harris is going to be kind of the odd man out. So um, that's kind of my thoughts on him and, and just kind of how how I see it and how I see his struggles and why he struggles as much as he does. Are you surprised McIlwain didn't take a third stringer out there every now and then to, to see? Because it, it seems like McIlwain runs more of a pro style, and you, you mentioned Treon being uh, more of a scrambler type. You'd think mm-hmm. there might he might stumble upon someone who at least has an arm better suited for his offense. I, I don't know. Could, yeah, it just, it just speaks volumes to how you know, thin they were at the quarterback position. I think that's something that Will Muschamp did not do a good job of of making sure uh, was the quarterback position. I think there was a lot of recruiting whiffs at that position. Jeff Driscoll was probably one of the biggest whiffs in Florida history at the quarterback position. He transfers. You're left with a walk-on guy who, you know, obviously, you know, you look in practice reps. Sharon Harris is probably – a, oh, a great practice player. Uh, do, you, do you remember who Chris Ricks is? Yeah, of course, Florida State quarterback. Yeah, uh, it's much of the same. Uh, you scratch your head, going, "Why is this guy playing?" And then, you know, if you were to ever go to practice, you would say, "Why is it this guy uh, up for the Heisman?" Yeah, and and it's probably one of those situations too. He's probably he probably does all the right things in practice. He probably earns his way. In practice, and he probably does just barely enough to stay above the other guy. Yeah, well, the, the SEC title game will be interesting. Florida's defense can maybe keep them in it a little longer. Who knows? But um, really, in hindsight, it's too bad Tennessee duffed their toes so many times to start the season. They, they've won five straight, and when I was filling mm-hmm. out my poll today, I had a down to um, which my last three teams and I always kind of go conference by conference and have a few nominees and my few nominees for that bottom end coming from the SEC were LSU um, Tennessee and even Georgia because Georgia hasn't lost in a month now and when I compare those three resumes I actually had Tennessee advancing on uh, for Mm -hmm. further scrutiny I didn't rank Tennessee, I didn't put Tennessee in but I think Tennessee's playing the best football in the East now. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, it'd be a totally different story if they make a play on fourth and sixteen. Yeah, you know they make a play on fourth and sixteen. It, it's ball game, uh, and we're talking about Tennessee and how well they match up against Alabama versus yeah, I mean uh, versus uh, Florida. But you never know. Like they they beat Florida and they turn around and they don't. They don't overcome a twenty-four to three halftime deficit against Georgia. You know, we may be saying we may be talking about Georgia and Mark Rick getting an extension uh, if he was representing the East. But uh, you know, things. You know, one play here, one play there is really the story of the East. You know, one one play in the Florida game. You know, uh, one play in the Georgia game to keep them alive. You know, if they don't make that one play to spark the rally. This is a moot point for Tennessee because they go on, they lose that game, they become irrelevant again in the, in the East, and Butch Jones might be looking for a job. <laughs> um, and then, you know, obviously, 
uh, Florida just, you know, one big play against Georgia. It was, it was pretty much a stalemate in the cocktail party. And, you know, Georgia, with, with their hopes still barely alive in the East, probably becomes front-runner in the East despite even losing to Tennessee. Uh, they give up one big play that kind of sparks a rally for Florida, and Florida, you know, turns on the route machine. Um, after that, after that one big play action play, it was, I think it was a 60-yard touchdown, um, touchdown pass on a play action play. So uh, you know, it's just probably you know less than five plays that really determined that really you know if you have a different outcome on three plays, the, you know the East might be totally changed. So in three different ways. Well, I got a question then that'll be difficult for you to answer. I feel like. I know you hate Florida. Yes. I know you, I know you like the SEC. Mm-hmm. But doesn't part of you kind of want to see some mayhem if the Gators somehow pull that off? I'm going to be rooting for Florida. They don't have a prayer, but it'll be funny. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think um, what'll make it feel better. Um, I, I never, as a as a Georgia fan, um, speaking completely subjectively, never want to root for the Gators. But if I speak objectively and say that I wouldn't mind if I if there's a little mayhem in, in the uh, in the playoff polls, I would yeah. be lying to you um, because you know as much as I would hate it, it would make me feel better to kind of see that whole thing in disarray and, and just trying to see what they would do and who who who's in who's out and the whole drama would make it more exciting. But you know, do you ever chant SEC? No, I'm not one of those yeah. SEC guys. I, you know, I, I kind, I, I'm the guy that kind of sits back and goes, "Okay, well, our conference did well, but I'm not going to sit there and root for a team that I've never rooted for." Yeah. Uh, just for some sort of notion of conference pride. I, I know you'd probably never root for Nebraska for Big Ten conference pride. Oh, I didn't um, even, I didn't even want Ohio State to win it last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. You, you don't put aside your rivalries. I, uh, I don't. I don't. I think if you ask a Michigan fan, they're not. They're not saying Big Ten, Big Ten, Big Ten. Yeah. They wanted. They wanted Oregon to wipe the floor with Ohio State last year. Uh, I, 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 I guarantee you that. I think most of the league just would have rather seen TCU in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's just I, I don't want to see a team. You know, for me, this whole conference pride thing is bogus because. You're you're competing with these teams for recruits. Yeah, you know it, it'd be one thing if this were the NFL and you could sign whoever you wanted to sign, you know, offer whatever you wanted to offer, and you know, well, you know, there was a draft and all kind of. I mean, Saban kind of does that with over signing, which is why, as an outsider, I always kind of liked Mark Rick's program. He was one of the few that was against that. Yeah, he was, and and he did. You know, that was one of the things that he stood for. Uh, you know. As a fan of the conference and as a fan of, of parity within the conference, you know, I, I do enjoy seeing the parity in the conference. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to become a fan of a team for a day, but um, I do enjoy seeing the parity of, of the league. So, you know, for Alabama to take whatever shots they need to take to kind of bring them back down to the pack would be perfectly fine with me. Um, you know, I just hope it doesn't come at the expense of the Florida Gators. Sorry, Gator fans. But you guys understand. You probably, you probably hate Georgia just as much as I hate Florida. <laughs> it's okay. I don't hate you personally. I just, 
you know, it's 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 what Bill Simmons called sports hate. Yeah. And everybody understands that. I don't. I don't mean it personally, and I'll probably take some grief for it for all the throngs of Gator fans that, that tune into us. But um, you know, it would be. I just. I hope the SEC championship is an exciting game. I fear that it won't be. I just hope that it's an exciting contest. I hope that the Big Ten championship is exciting. I think it. I, every bit of me thinks it will be. Every bit of me has no doubts that it won't be. Uh, I think, you know, I think a lot of people probably won't predict, you know, they'll probably predict Michigan State in a route. I think that's, I think that's bogus. I think Iowa is, you know, their run game, especially with Kanzari, is tremendous. Um, I think they can do a lot of great things with the offensive line that they have. I think Kirk Ferentz is, uh, he's got the magic potion this year or something. I, I don't know. There's something... There's something strange going on in Iowa, yeah. and well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm optimistic that they're at least going to put up a fight. If they, even if they lose, I think you know they'll scrap. They'll put up a fight, and they'll give every, they'll give Michigan State everything they can handle. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll be talking about that later in the week. Um, but man, that was a super long deep route. That was like a flea flicker going all over the place. Um, but that was a double sweep reverse pass pass. Yeah, that was that was. We just went down a Florida football rabbit hole that I don't think any of us were expecting to have happened. Yes. So I'm going to bring it back to the next game we we're going to talk about, and that is uh, Notre Dame Stanford. And uh, you know, I said this was going to be a three score game. Um, I what I meant was a three point game, right? Uh, I think Matt edited that yeah. for me. Um, yeah, no, I no. Think so. um, I think you meant when you said three score. I think you meant three scores. There was going to be three scores within the last five minutes. Yeah, I think that's what you meant, um, right? Yeah, but my God, hats off to the Irish. Just when I leave them for dead, they they do crazy stuff, and they found another running back, Josh Adams, eighteen carries, hundred and sixty-eight yards. What, I mean, seriously, is there like a factory I mean, up there? Are they, are they building these guys? I mean, what's what's going on, man? I mean. Jesus. I mean, uh, this might be hyperbole, so feel free to shoot this down, but I'm going to float this balloon anyway. Notre Dame favorites for next year's national title? Um, you might want to pump the brakes on that. Ten and, ten and two with this many injuries, finding all sorts of players to plug in. They might be the deepest team in the country. They, they could be. Uh, I would put them in the contention. I wouldn't put them as the favorite. Okay. I would put them in higher contention than I would normally put. I'd probably put them top five contention, top six contention. Well, Um, all right. Well, we know what happened in the game. Obviously, Stanford won a last-second field goal. It was a great game. Uh, Matt and I watched it together after dinner at a at a great Chicago bar, and it, it was just. You back- want a clinic? You want a clinic on how to use yeah. timeouts at the end of a game? Yeah, that was a clinic on how to use timeouts at the end of the game. I thought that was that was probably my favorite part of it. Is you know they hit uh, they they beautifully used their timeouts. They hit receivers where they put the ball wherever they needed to. They used them effectively. They they saved every every precious second. And they got the win for it. You know, I think it was a tremendously coached game on both sides. 
Uh, and that's kind of what stood out to me as well. I think both sides did a tremendous job at game planning. I think they both executed very well. Um, it's just shame somebody had to lose that one. I, I, I wish, I wish you could hand another loss to Florida on that game. <laughs> just give both of these teams a win, and just give the loss to Florida. <laughs> so, so it it seems likely that stand that uh, Oklahoma's a lock, and it seems yeah. likely that we don't think Florida stands a chance. So it seems like Alabama's a lock. And it, it seems like the Big Ten game is a de facto play-in. So it, it feels like three out of the four are locked in. So does Stanford need North Carolina to win? Or if Stanford does a Ohio State and drops USC 59 nothing, do you see an avenue for the Cardinals? Or is this unfortunately a little too little too late? Unfortunately, they shouldn't have lost two games. If they lost one game, we we could talk this scenario. Um, but the fact is, the fact of the matter is this, and I don't mean to go all Stephen A. Smith on you, but the fact of the matter is this: if Clemson wins, they're twelve and zero. Yep. You can't really argue. I mean, they played in the ACC, okay, but they're twelve and zero. Yep. Nonetheless, and they beat Florida State, and they and they beat North Carolina, who's currently ranked, if not in the top ten, near the top ten. Yep. Um, they will have, you know, their quality of opponents. Uh, they beat Notre Dame, beat Notre Dame, beat Florida State, beat North Carolina, uh, and those are three impressive wins. Twelve and zero. No matter how they got there, they're twelve and zero. They deserve that top spot. Okay. What, what if what if the Tar Heels win though? If the Tar Heels win. Now you can debate. There's there's only a difference in, in one loss. Now you look at resumes. All right, you look at resumes of Stanford. You look at resume of Notre Dame. You look at resumes of you know a lot of your teams for that fourth spot. Yeah, I'm um, gonna be honest. Maybe even look. Maybe even look at Iowa. You well, know, sitting there at sitting there at um, twelve and one. Well, I think you know you gotta yeah, you gotta give them a shot. Yeah, I think if. If North Carolina, Baylor. if North Carolina pulls the upset, though, it brings I, a lot of teams back. I into don't play know playoff. if North Carolina pulls off the upset and Stanford beats a really talented USC team again. I don't like Ohio State didn't win their division. At some point, conference championships have to matter. They do. Um, it's what. Honestly, you know, I hate to keep bringing up George so much, but um, you know, this is a perfect example. It's a precedent that was set in this whole deal. Is in 2007, Georgia was, you know, Georgia was sitting at number four, number one, and number two lose. So obviously, you think number three and number four move up, right? You know, standard logic would would, would suggest that, uh, but that wasn't the case. Georgia got Georgia got leaped by LSU because LSU won the SEC. Um, therefore, they played for the national championship that year um, instead of Georgia. Georgia played in the Sugar Bowl, just completely dismantled Hawaii. Georgia fans are pissed because they felt like they needed to be in the national championship, which is totally untrue. Because if you can't win your own, if you can't even win your own division, you shouldn't be playing for a national championship. Um, I totally stand by that, um, even though it affected my team. 
Um, I would have loved to have had the shot. I thought for a second we might have gotten the, gotten the nod, but was totally understanding that we didn't get the nod. Um, so, however, back to the issue at hand. North Carolina, I think if Clemson wins, you know. Stanford's done. I, Stanford's done. Yeah. I think I think it's a lock. I think you have your top four if, if Clemson wins. All right, there's no debate on anybody else. Okay. Their resume is far too good at 12-0 to be knocked out. Okay. Now, North Carolina wins. Okay. North Carolina wins. All right. Now, now you open it up. Yeah. Now you open up to a lot of teams. Does your ACC champ get in at this point? Okay. You got to look at that. Yeah. Okay. Tar Heels Those would be the hottest team in the country. Yes, but you got to look at their wins. Who have they beaten? Well, they would have taken the down. The, yeah, they well, they would have taken down the number one team. They've got wins over Pitt, who's bull bound, Duke, who's bull bound. Um, okay. So, it, so you you look at their resume. All right. Now you look at Stanford. Well, Stanford would have the the Pac-12 title in their back pocket. You would say they survived. Probably the deepest conference. I mean, they're sending 10 out of 12 teams to bowl games. Yeah. Now you look at Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame doesn't have a marquee victory. That, that's their problem. I mean, they got the one yeah, over they got the one over Temple and a nice one over Navy, but um, really the best part of Notre Dame's resume is two close losses. Yeah. And a, and a win over USC, who was division champ. Um now you look at Baylor. Or yeah. Mm, that, that one's tough. I think I would lean towards TCU, and the reason is stealing a college basketball logic, and that is Baylor has more injuries. Right. And now you look at, at last, but certainly, definitely not least, you look at Iowa. Yeah. I, I think that I think the loser of the Big Ten title game is out. I think that because Ohio State will then slide up above. Even even with uh, Iowa twelve and one record wise, you think that still happens? Yeah, um, I've got a sneaking suspicion that it's the same reason Ohio State jumped TCU last year. Uh, feel free to give me a tinfoil pointy hat, but. Um, I, yeah. I think a private Christian university from Fort Worth, Texas, is always going to get jumped by the Ohio State University. I think when ESPN and this committee and the TV people can get big names in, they will. Gotcha. So all Clemson has to do is take care of business, and they're in. Yeah. So I, yeah, well, Oklahoma definitely deserves to be in. Yeah, well, here's the here's the easiest way to solve this problem, which is affecting Stanford right now. You have an eight team tournament. Yeah, that'll solve a lot of issues. Um, we have one final quick deep out, so let's make it real quick because uh, we went so long on some of these games. We've got a lot to talk about, and that is. Uh, well, we had we had some good discussions yeah. about different things. So yeah, so I, I don't I don't hate that. Yeah, I don't hate it either. I don't hate it either. But people get impatient and they don't have long commutes. So um, the the last game, 
Ohio State killed Michigan. Um, simply put, I, I just wanted to ask you this about the game. Was it the way Ohio State la- lost last week that they just turned it on, or is this Michigan kind of regressing to where we expected them to be? Because since the, their second half of the season, double overtime win against Indiana, goal line stand against Minnesota, and even though it was a strange loss, even if they had won, it was a super, super close game with Michigan State. The Wolverines just haven't been as good as they were to start the year. Was this more about Ohio State, or was Michigan just not quite as good as their record and overachieved a little bit? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. This is probably this is probably not the best answer, but I'm going to say both. I'm <laughs> thinking Ohio State was pissed off. Yep. Um, they realized that hey. We need to quit being such idiots, and we need to get the ball into Elliott's hands, which they did. 30 carries, 214 yards, and two touchdowns. See what happens when you give them 30 <laughs> carries. You know, you get that. Um, Jake, you know, Barrett was not really much in the past game, but he didn't have to be. Um, you know, I think Michigan did overachieve a little bit. I think that early in the year, I think that, you know, it just shows you what kind of coaching talent – Jim Harbaugh has because this roster if you look at this roster it is not loaded down with the, with the talent this is in, in this game it was talent wise it was lopsided I think Ohio State had you know the majority of the talent in this game you know that's not to say Michigan doesn't have talent because they do they just don't have as much of it as Ohio State does and once that first string of talent gets you know, I think Michigan has one of the you know, better for you know one of the better first units in the in the conference. I think their first unit can play with anybody in the country, but it's just when they that first unit starts to get a little fatigued is is when they start to falter, and that's where their three losses come from. That's where some of their uh, exciting wins that shouldn't have been so exciting come from um, is the fact that they just don't have any depth, and they're just not there yet because they were in a position where they had to hire a new coach. They made a they made a home run higher. They got the right guy. He just needs time to implement. And for him to be nine and three, ranked twelfth in the country, tells you how what a tremendous job he's done with what he's already got. And he's only gonna he's only gonna get better. He's only gonna recruit better. Uh, so I think Michigan right now they overachieved, but they're a program on the rise. And you can kind of see the direction that they're going. They played well at times. They just couldn't sustain it. Um, they just couldn't sustain it. Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State. Ohio State was a bit of a buzzsaw for them. So to answer your question, I think probably if I had to lean, it'd probably be more on Michigan's lack of depth provided the lopsided score. Um, Ezekiel Elliott was playing with a tremendous chip on his shoulder, so uh, that kind of factored in as well. Um, Urban Meyer finally decided, hey, I'm a I'm a dumbass. I need to get the ball into into my playmaker's arms. Uh, he was right. He called me out, and, and uh, he responded by giving him 30 carries. So, you know, whatever opinion you may have of how the situation was handled, right or wrong, uh, you know, Urban Meyer made the necessary change, regardless of how the message was delivered. Um, I don't question it because I'm not there. I don't know the culture of that locker room. I don't know the culture um, surrounding that program. So. Um, I can't sit there and pretend yeah. to say that I think it's okay. It might be okay there. You know, it, that kind of stuff was 
you know, it was sort of okay with Bill Parcells yeah. to a certain degree. You know, I, I think the guy probably would have gotten fined, but they probably would have, and he probably would have got chewed out behind closed doors. That's probably what happened with Ezekiel. He probably got chewed out. Probably had to run. You know, probably had to visit the strength and conditioning coach at five thirty in the morning um, a couple of times. But after that, it was over. I've always been um, a fan of stadium stairs, and the shoe has a lot of stairs. He might have been running for a yes. while. Yes. Yeah, and, and a couple five thirty trips will send will send the message. Um, and then you know on on the same side, Urban Meyer can't be so dense as to not receive the messages yeah. Ezekiel Elliott was sending because he did have a point. I, I agree completely with what he said. I just don't agree with how he said it. Um, and, and then that's kind of that was kind of my stance on it. Um, but as long as the message re- it was received, he can deal with the rest of it and, and be perfectly fine. So um, for those for those people that were panicking and saying Urban Meyer's losing his team, I, I just I, I think you know they were panicking more than Ohio <laughs> State was. Yeah. All right. Well, we always like to end the show on our uh, top ten and parting shots. So uh, I'll do my poll first. Um, I just read it straight from my blog. I do a full top 25, so I'll just race through 11 through 25. Um, start at the bottom. Wisconsin, USC, Memphis, um, Western Kentucky, got it at 22. Temple, Ole Miss, Oregon, Northwestern, Navy, Florida, Oklahoma State, Baylor, North Carolina, Michigan, Florida State, and that gets me to number 10. And I've got Houston, Coach. I think they would have been undefeated if Greg Ward Jr. hadn't missed. Um, as much time as he did. I think that cost them some games. And uh, the, I like this Houston team, and it looks like they might be keeping uh, Herman around as a little teaser for the coaching uh, carousel pod. Uh, then at 9, I got TCU, go. Notre Dame, Ohio State. got Iowa at 6. Um, and this sounds rude because I'm an Iowa fan, but... Um, the two teams I have above them are Michigan State at five and Stanford at four. I think Stanford is a better version of what Iowa does, and I think MSU's best beats Iowa's best. So I, I got to put them above them, the Hawks, as much as I love this Iowa team. Uh, got Alabama three, slid them down just one spot. Talked about how Coker struggled lately. Um, that's why I dropped them just a tad. Oklahoma two and Clemson number one. How about you? What's your top ten? Well, um, you know, I'll, I'll go from the top down. Um, I'm going to say Clemson at number one. You know, I, I think until somebody unseats them, they're number one. I think Deshaun Watson has played a vital part. And uh, I think he played a vital part in the game against South Carolina. He had four, he accounted for four touchdowns um, in that contest. Kind of kind of helped keep the game slightly out of reach for the Gamecocks. Um, I still like Alabama at number two. Um, even though they won ugly, that's you, know, you got to take into account that 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 rivalry was in it. You know, it, it, it's a bitter one. It's one of those that you know, no matter what, the, you throw the records out the door um, type deal. Uh, I I kind of agree with the coach's poll on this one. Um, I'm gonna go. Well, the coach's poll has Iowa at number three, uh, Oklahoma at four, Michigan State at five. I like that, except right now because I think Michigan State's playing a little bit better than Iowa. I'm going to switch Iowa and Michigan State. I'm going to put Iowa at number five, Oklahoma four, Michigan State three. Um, I'm going to put I'm going to put Stanford at six, Ohio State seven, North Carolina eight, Florida State nine, 
and I'm going to put Notre Dame number 10. All right. Sounds good. Um, a lot, and, lot of know, familiar faces. Stanford is, is that first team in yeah. if, should North Carolina win. Nice. I like that. Um, all right. What's your parting shot? My parting shot. All right. Well, we got an action-packed coaches special for you. Um, not to mention a preview of the championship games coming up this weekend. So uh, a couple action-packed shows. We've got a good special for you. Lots of action in the coaching carousel. We're going to talk about the changes at Georgia. Talk about what's happening at Virginia Tech, USC, South Carolina, Missouri, Minnesota, Iowa State, Maryland, Memphis, Miami, Illinois, Hawaii, Central Florida, Syracuse, Toledo, Tulane, UL Monroe, I'm sure others are going to join the mix as well. Um, got an action-packed show here for you. Um, kind of, kind of see some some uh, some movement going on in college football. 21 job openings before the season's even opening, before the season's closed. That is insane. Yeah. Well, I guess my uh, my parting shot was going to mention the stupidity of Bill Cubit getting an extension. Um, but then I realized, Coach, we haven't talked about something that we normally do, thanks to Matt not being here, and that is mm. the American Conference has been talked about the entire show. So uh, in honor of Matt not being here, my parting shot is going to be Houston and Temple in a – you talk about contrasting – Football philosophies. Houston gets out there and scores. Temple just beats you up. That is going to be my parting shot as a good way to preview our next show with a little uh, American Conference appetizer before uh, Matt talks about the American for 35 minutes. Yeah, there you go. Got to take Matt's thunder. Got to pass on the legacy of the professor as he grades <laughs> papers. I'm sure he'll like to shout out. Um, and if we're talking about American Athletic Conference, got to Got to talk about, uh, got to give a shout out to Ashley Croft. I'm sure she's listening. Loyal <laughs> listener. Um, probably one of the only loyal listeners that we have, so got to, got to give her some love as well. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we will be back with a uh, coaching wrap-up, conference, title game preview at some other time. I'll uh, ship this off to Matt. He'll post it and do all that uh, behind-the-scenes techno stuff. For Coach, this is Josh in the Second City. Thanks, as always, for listening to and downloading the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Catch us on Twitter. See ya! Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.